right, Coach Jay coming at you every weekend with what I'm learning, where I'm going, and what I'm currently working on. Uh, ladies and gents, I am coming at you from this beautiful podcast studio here in Las Vegas. I am not talking to you from my four-door Nissan Altima. And what's really cool is today, this is the first day I am not alone. Um, ladies and gents, I want to introduce a good friend, mentor, uh, entrepreneur, and jack of many trades, Mr. Lee Barber, with the caveat that today he will be interviewing me and my story. Mr. Lee Barber, thank you for your time. Awesome, Jamie. Thank you um, for the introduction and for everything positive um, that you do. It's it's cool for me to do this because um, just a little on our story so the listeners can hear it. We, Misty and I, my wife, moved into our house, our last house, quite a few years ago. And I remember driving down the street and there was this little blonde popping out of the car all excited to buy her new house. And you know, we're, we're walking down the street with my daughter and my daughter pulls over your daughter and they just happen to be best friends in school. And it was like, wow, my daughter's best friend just moved in. And then, you know, you, you guys did CrossFit out of your gym. We worked out of our gym and just watching you, um, over the years, who you are, your, you know, positivity, how you've compounded that, how you faced adversity in your life in the time that I've known you has been really cool to watch. So Thank it's, you, it's, Doopey. it's cool for me to be here. Um, you know, my, I have another podcast and my classic interview style is, um, kind of a, a person's history. I think that, you know, list, listeners, especially since you're starting, you know, you, you have your own podcast for people to get to know you. And I, you know, the, the SHT that you do, um, I know that your message is it's not just about physical, but it's about mental, spiritual, physical fitness, you know? Um, so I think it's, it'll be cool for people to hear where that comes from and what your story's like. Um, so for you, where, where does your journey start? Tell us a little bit about like childhood. Where did you grow up with mom, dad? Was it single family? What was that like? Oh, I always grew up with my daddy, daddy's girl, but my mom obviously is still a huge player in my game, but my dad uh, definitely had me from a small child and or from a baby, actually, um, and is still to this day one of my very best friends. And we've always had a really close relationship. I know you yourself have a really close relationship with your daughter, mm -hmm. and I think that's so important. So today, as a 33-year-old woman, I am proud to say that my dad is truly one of my best friends. Awesome. And he was the person that started my fitness journey, to be quite frank. He was. Yes. So what did growing up look like for you? How was um, youth, teenage years? What did all that look like? I grew up in a small town, Elk, Nevada. Southside Brown Pride to all my peeps out there that are watching <laughs> me. We grew up on that street. My daddy grew up on that street. My grandparents grew up on that street. And you also know that my grandparents are truly some of the most important people in my life as well. Um, we moved a lot. I moved to Reno, Nevada. and I So lived, just on that real yeah. quick. So you came from a really small town. Yes. Um, and, and it sounds like three generations grew up in that town. And they're still there. And they're still there. And I still go home. Wow. So yes. there's a lot of culture in that. Yes. And then you guys, um, so you said you moved. Who yes. moved? Was it you and dad or? My dad was married several times. And I moved to Reno, Nevada. And I lived right, a, right across the street from the convention center. So if you know where that is, you know it's not the, the <laughs> best part of town. But I think... Um, I went to some of the coolest churches there. I was introduced to Baptist Church there, I, mm -hmm. and it was really interesting. I had a lot of a lot of good, like I I grew up in a, a hard part of the town, and I think it definitely um, added a lot of character to me mm. being tiny but mighty. What What was it like? Um, you're small, like strong, like bull, right? You're small of stature, but big spirit. What was it like going from um, the small town? How old were you when you moved? Oh man, when I moved, I think I was nine. So you're about our kids' ages. Our kids are yes, 11. actually, I didn't and think about that. Yeah, and it's like, you know, like, it, it's been interesting for me being a parent because, you know, I remember my perspective when I was 9, 10, 11, but looking at them, you really, you get a different paradigm of what they're doing at that age. So now, looking back, reflecting, moving from a small town, a small culture, a third-generation street into Reno, in not the best area... Yeah. What was that like from your paradigm at the time, and how did that kind of how did that affect you? Oh, culture shock, culture shock. Because uh, I think in uh, Elko, Nevada, the biggest thing I had was a fashion bug. So mm. when I moved, I learned like what BB was, what Gap <laughs> was, what yeah. Chanel is, and I was like, oh my gosh, there's a there's a big world out there. And I think that's the biggest thing when you move from a small town to a bigger city. 
is that this this is life there's a much there's a opportunity yeah. things you don't know people you don't know brands you don't know yeah and like stuff like that yeah so, yeah that's awesome and so how long did you guys stay in reno not long not long <laughs> And then my daddy moved me to good old Las Vegas, Nevada. Okay. Yeah. From the frying pan to the fire. Yeah, straight <laughs> up. And when we first moved down here, I'll tell you a little secret. I, I uh, lived in the wild, wild west downtown on the Strip, if you know where that place is. Yeah. The little hotel. They actually tore it down. Okay, well, that's a shame, but I do, <laughs> I do remember being there. And you know what? I always grew up with not a lot of money, but a lot of love. So I didn't realize, I didn't, yeah. I, it didn't make no difference to me, to be quite honest. Yeah. But now when I look back at where I am and then, I, I'm grateful. Yeah, you know, it's funny. I was just having a conversation with somebody that we both know um, the other day. And they were talking about, you know, what kind of experiences they wanted to have with their children. And, you know, I heard this thing the other day. I heard two things that were really impactful to me. One of them said, don't get so caught up chasing the extraordinary moments that you miss the ordinary moments. Mm. And then I was listening to, I, it's weird that I actually pick up game on TikTok. But this <laughs> yeah. guy's on TikTok and he's, he's given this speech and he's like, you know, all those smears and all those fingerprints oh. and all those dirty cabinets and all those dirty windows and that dirty bed mm. and all those dirty clothes, when that's gone, oh, you'll, miss it. you'll miss it. You'll miss it. So, yeah. you know, it's like people don't, the most important thing to a kid is love. Yeah. It doesn't matter if you're in the wild, wild west. No. If you feel loved and you feel um, like you're spiritually fit and your family's spiritually fit. You know, I, I've talked to a lot of people and I had a pretty diverse childhood. And I, you know, remember there were times when um, things weren't great, but they were okay. And then I remember times when things weren't great and they weren't okay. And that was always due to like how checked in my mom was for me. That was really important. So, oh, okay. so there you are in the wild, wild west. Yes. <laughs> yes. And like, you know, how, what is, what is life like? Oh, what is life like? You know, um, my dad has always been, uh, I am much like him loud and proud. And, and I love to one day get the opportunity to share his story. Uh, my dad has overcome many adversities with substance abuse and stuff and so like you much said some days he was checked in some days he was checked out yeah um but what was important to me is out of everybody i grew up with he never let me go hmm. and that's what really still sticks with me today and is why he's my best friend so do you want if you don't mind diving into it so, and, and i'll be vulnerable with yeah. listeners too my mom was you know an alcoholic when i was growing up and that influenced the way that i grew up because you know she was one you know born in the well she was I was born in the 70s, so she was born before that. But she was like, oh, if you're going to drink, drink at home. Yeah. And I'm more like, you're not going to drink. 12-year-old's yeah. not drinking in my house. Yeah, so. yeah. But that's not what she thought. And so, you know, growing up in that type of household, the, the one thing I can say about my mom was, um, well, I can say a lot of things about my mom, but the most important thing was that she loved me. Yes. She loved me, you know, um, Sometimes I just shouldn't have been around my mom because yeah. she wasn't in a great place in life. And she had, you know, her own issues. But that affected me drastically because that's what I, I grew up with. And even though the love was there, it 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 formed a certain way of thinking and, and behavioral patterns in me that took me a long time in my life to get out of into my 30s. Because, you know, my paradigm, my view, how I understood interpersonal relationships my use with alcohol and drugs was, especially at that age, something that I used for em emotional comfort when, because, so how, what was life like? Oh my gosh, Mr. Barber, this is actually really cool because I think I relate a lot. Um, my dad was much of the same. It was lots of drugs and alcohol and most often that's how we made our living to be quite frank. Mm -hmm. So the women that were around me um, weren't women that should be around me. They were working jobs that shouldn't have been a role model. Um, but looking back in that environment, it was, it was crazy. And I have a lot of memories. My dad is a Harley Davidson guy. So we rode on the back of his Springer soft tail everywhere. Mm -hmm. And so when he would drop me off at school, I mean, I looked real fucking cool, I guess, mm -hmm. you know, but, um, like you said, the love was always there, but there is times I shouldn't have been in that situation. But, um, looking back, it made me smart. Mm -hmm. It made me street smart. And I know like just much as you said that I'm still undoing a lot of the damage and a lot of like, cause I thought that was cool. I thought that's how you live life. Mm -hmm. That's not how you live life. Who it's would not, have thought, you know? No. So I'm still undoing a lot of myself mm -hmm. and, um, and, um, I'm proud and I'm also proud of my father. Yeah. You know, I, I feel the same way about my mom. Um, she, she, she died. Um, she could stop drinking, but she was on 
morphine there at the end. She just kind of switched substances. And, you know, I was, I, I loved my mom and I didn't have anything and I still don't anything bad to say about her. You know, it's, it's just my, my goal in life has become breaking the chain of addiction and alcoholism in my daughter's lives because I don't want them to grow up like I grew up. And that doesn't give me the room to blame my mom or hate my mom. So I vibe with what you're saying. It's like, we want to protect our parents in the sense that like, because they loved us. I know a lot of people who had situations like mine, but also mixed with their parents didn't give a crap about them. And that's really tough because that creates more trauma. I vibe with what you're saying about the trauma because you know, what happens is we get this kind of paradigm on life. Like this is how life works. Mm -hmm. This is how interpersonal relationships work. This is like, you know, like your dad loved you. But is that, is that the type of man, him back then? Yeah. Is that the type of man that you want Layla to date when she, no, right? It's like, so we don't want to talk trash on our parents because we love them and they did right and they've learned and they've done that. But it's like, for me, it's breaking that cycle and being, you know, and so that's what I meant when I said, don't get so caught up chasing the extraordinary that you miss the ordinary. I think the biggest impact that we can have in our lives is first undoing what was done ourselves, but then not putting that into our children because it's, it's tough. Like, you know, the way that I communicate with Misty, my wife is different than the way that I communicate with my daughter because my wife has trauma while I'm trying to keep my, my daughter in a, in, I want her to communicate like a real human, not like me, like a big 12 year old, (laughs) you know? So like, so what was your teenage life like? So, I mean, that's Vegas. What is, what is the teenagers? Oh, teenage years were, I was just as wild. I was a wild child. That was my dad's nickname. And that was most definitely mine. Um, I took much of what he taught me. I I sold stuff too, to to make some money. I grew up with no money and I figured out how to make money and make money fast. Yeah. And so I I was always been a hustler at heart, but have I always hustled the right things? No. Yeah. (laughs) So, (laughs) but here I am, you know? And so, uh, my dad is a huge inspiration in my life. Uh, cause I watched him undo his demons upstairs in our little town home and he didn't come down for a few weeks and when he came down he was a different man so when people tell me they can't do something i say bullshit yeah i agree with that yes yeah yes so what is what is what are the next couple you're in vegas uh, wild wild west what do the next few years look like oh then i got to college man and people actually gave a shit to be there like mm. you have to pay to be there so that was a whole different so wait vibe. wait hold on how oh, do we go okay. from the wild west <laughs> to college yeah that's a big stretch yeah so he's a teenage years i was homeschooled to be quite frank okay um so when i was in junior high i met my junior high sweetheart and okay. i'm still with him to this day i met yeah. him when i was 12 years old he we went to lee middle school still stands here in las vegas right <laughs> um i chased him everywhere still do yeah 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 um, he was actually zoned for a different high school and I did not like that. So <laughs> I didn't go to school and I'd hang out with my boyfriend. So my daddy said, Hey, I'll give you an opportunity. You get a job. You can be homeschooled. I said, I'll take you up on that. Yeah. I got a job when I was 16, made my own money, bought my own car. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's cool. Yeah. So then how did we get to college from there? Ah, so it was really cool. When I went to Odyssey Charter School, um, I will always remember Mr. Farah was my counselor. He pulled me in there and he seen my grades in junior high and he asked me what happened when I went to high school. And I said, I didn't like my high school. I went to Mojave High School. My boyfriend went to Cheyenne. I didn't go. <laughs> and he said, well, I see you have, you have potential. You think you can mix up these credits and take some extra courses, graduate on time? He gave me a challenge, Mr. Barber. And yeah. I like challenge and I like to prove people wrong. I was a black sheep. Nobody thought I'd do nothing. Yep. Here I am. Yep. Yes. So I, I graduated that. on time due to Mr. Fair at Odyssey Charter School. Thank you very much. It's awesome. I'll always remember him. <laughs> and so, you know, a lot of kids, when they're growing up in these types of... Um, you know, not, not the good parents, but not the best surroundings. Um, don't choose to go to college. I didn't, I went to, um, if I'm honest with everybody, I went to prison is where I went and that's where I actually got my high school diploma. Um, you know, my, my childhood wasn't great and I started to make really poor decisions when I was, um, you know, 15, 16, 17, 18 to start to support my drug habit. Those progressed as I got older. And by the time I was um, 19, um, the state thought I should go to detention. So I went the opposite route. I didn't go to college. So how did you get from, you know, like what were the determining factors for you and what was kind of life like as you went into college? Oh, my, always a big rabbit in my life and always will be as my sister. Mm -hmm. Uh, My sister never went down that route. She saw how our parents made bad choices. Did your sister grow up with you and your dad? No. Where was she she at? With her grandparents on Southside Drive. 
Got it. Yes. So she was somewhere else. And she took a different route. You know, she made sure that she studied, that she was academically correct, that she didn't hang out with that crowd. And she made good choices from the start. Mm -hmm. So after I graduated high school, she was truly proud of me. And she told me, if you're going to go this far, why don't you go to college? Mm. So she helped you out. She sure did. You know, th these are the these are the things that that I look look back on, you know, like, um, you know, I made really bad choices. But as a, a juvenile you know, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17 years old, when you're in those surroundings, it's really hard to differentiate a good choice and a bad choice because you only have what's in front of you. And as you're living life like that, the things that are abnormal to everyone else seem normal to us. Yeah. So where, uh, you know, today, if Lotus came to me or in a few years, hopefully not if she came home with a boyfriend today yeah. and kill somebody. But if she's like, hey, I'm going to quit school because my boyfriend goes to another <laughs> school, I'm like, that's not happening. Yeah. You know, so we we look back at those things and what kind of precedence we get to set now as parents. And it's like you're doing the very best you can yeah. in abnormal situations. And our parents back then, listen, my, my mom was like literally similar. It was like yeah. because the abnormal decisions to me seem normal to her too. Like <laughs> exactly. my... They, they would rationalize that like, yes, yes if you're going to do drugs, you should just do, do, them, do them here with me. <laughs> exactly. Like, no, don't do drugs at <laughs> no. all. We're not doing drugs. Yeah. Like, oh, Mr. Farber, we were no, late. Okay. you know, so it's like, you know, we, we go through these things and then there's your sixth, your sister, you know, living a completely different life because of surroundings. And listen, these things aren't good or bad. I love, I love the diversity that I've had to face. I love the, the, the pain and all of the suffering because it made me the person that I am today. I came out on top like you, right? Yeah. It's like. So I love that. Um, I love that part of the story. I just wanted to kind of key in on that. It's yeah. like you look at like, you know, the decisions us and our parents were making back then. <laughs> and it was like, so you get into college. What is that like? Oh, I got pregnant. Okay. By my high school, my junior high, high school sweetheart. Yep. My daughter, Layla Ray. And she How old were my you? Ah, oh, I got pregnant. I had her when I was 22. So I was 21 when I got pregnant with her. I married my husband when I was 20. Yeah. Couldn't even drink on the plane. So was he, <laughs> you were in college where? Uh, I went to CSN. You did. Community College of Southern Nevada. Finished or dropped out? Finished. Finished. Bachelors. Really? Yes. I didn't know that. I have a Bachelor's of Science. So what does that all look like for you in, in that area of your life? You're, oh. you you go into college, yeah. you marry Mitchell, you yes. get pregnant, you're going to... What is that? I so mean, I was taking prereqs, man. I didn't know what I wanted to do. And uh, at first I thought I wanted to be an ultrasound tech and I was doing my volunteer hours. It did not excite me as I did these volunteer hours and I sat in these labs I had a big old belly, Mr. Barber. Let me tell you to be a 21-year-old walking around with a big old belly. It's not stylish. It's not stylish. And you get looks and mm -hmm. people wonder. Mm -hmm. And all it did was make me hungry. I want to prove. I don't, I know, I don't know if that's, but I like to, I like to show people. Sure. Like, watch me go. Yeah. Watch me go. So, but truly Layla Ray, like after I got pregnant, I was like, well, I need to get a real job. Yeah. I was a waitress. And I was, I, before I got pregnant, that's all I did was party. I, I would wait tables, make money, go spend them after work. Yeah. So. Yep. She gave me, she gave me life. So Layla comes around. Are you and Mitchell, you're married. Yes. Are you living together? Of course. Okay. I moved in with him when I was 18 years old. He went to my daddy's house, put everything I owned, which by the way was just clothing, in the middle of my bed, put it on his back, wrapped it up and took me to his house. Great choices. My right? daddy These cried. Are, oh, bet. These are all things like... <laughs> You know, I, I feel like I would like ship Lotus off to another country. I swear, because you know what? My daddy always says, the day you turn 18, I'm kicking you out. Well, the day I turn 18, I just moved out. No, I'm like, <laughs> I want her to stay at my house till she's like 24. I, I do don't want too. her to go anywhere. I do you know? too. I don't want to enable her, but I'm yeah. like, I got a granny unit. I'll put a door in it for there you. There you go. You know, because I. with me a little longer. Yeah, I want, her, I want her to be around me. We don't have many, many years left, Mr. Barber. No, we don't. No. And when you really think about like, you, you, you with the you know it's i feel bad sometimes for my mom and i'm just kind of thinking of this now the the moments that are the most precious with our, with our children are those you know and i had some spiritual moments with my mom i had you know a lot of them but those those little the day-to-days the little day-to-day -day activities the showers the waking up the not wanting to get up the eating breakfast the cooking with them sitting at the table kicking their kicking the wall this you know the stuff yeah. that you're just like that little kid from year to year changes yeah. so drastically. And each year that that kid changes, that human being's gone. Yeah. That specific little person, you know, and they, yeah. they change so drastically from year to year. It's just, it's, I've really been paying attention to it, how fast it goes and how different she is. And it's each, each new evolution is a joy, yeah. but man, do I miss some of the old yeah. stuff. 
You know, it's it's crazy. Yeah, so you guys, um, you're married. Here comes Layla. You want to get a real job. What's Mitchell doing? Oh, he's always been a diesel mechanic. That that man has always used his hands. And he's always been really good at what he does. And he's yeah. always been passionate about it. He, too, has worked very hard. My daddy gave him his first job. He was 17 years old, and he'd show up every day to Bald Mountain begging for a job. They wouldn't get him one. So yeah. he came back every day. And I want to <laughs> say for about a good solid four weeks, and they were tired of seeing his face. They gave him a job. Just had to give him a job. Yeah. So you guys are married. What does life look like back then? Ah, we're renting a house from his mom. His mom moved to Virginia Beach, and I live actually in a two-story house. Um, I felt like I was a millionaire, Mr. Barber. Um, so my yeah. husband put me in a beautiful home. It's better than Wild Wild West. Yes. When yes. I turned 18 years old, he bought me my first car. He paid for a lot of my school. He had a good job, and he worked mad hours as he does to this day. Mm -hmm. My husband's always been a hard worker, and he's always been a provider. Yeah. Yes. So what, what are the next few years, the early years for you, Mitchell, and Layla look like? How much longer till little Mitchell? What Not does life look long. like? I think I got pregnant. I'm really bad, but I think it was like 14 months later. I know the, there's moms that know the exact yeah. timing. I just know I had yeah. a baby. I kind of got my body back, and boom, I did it again. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. Comes another one of these. It little. comes another one. Oh. And he was a boy, and he's just like his daddy. Yeah, he's crazy. Yeah, yes. <laughs> So you guys are you there. Now there's three of you. Yeah. Um, is there, what does life look like? I mean, um, good, bad, fun, up, down. What's going on in life? Good. I found direction. I realized I didn't want to be an ultrasound technician. I want to be a respiratory therapist. There's a little bit of excitement in that job. It makes my heart thump. Yeah. Um, so if it was not for my grandparents and allowing me to have my babies crawl all over their kitchen while I sat hours at her dining room table, and she not only fed my children, she fed me, fed me, and I did hours of homework there. And she babysat my kids as I did rotations at the hospital where you make no money. Mm -hmm. I grinded at the as a waitress four days a week at good old Planet Hollywood, mm -hmm. Ocean One Bar and Grill. I remember <laughs> my friends will remember me there. I worked there Monday through Thursday, and then I did 12-hour shifts as a student Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and I did that for two years yeah. with nothing but a hope and a prayer. It's a lot. Yes. It's a lot. Yes. So you do that for a couple of years, um, then you graduate. Uh, is that's what you're doing now, right? Yes. Respiratory therapy. Yes. So what are the next couple? What year was that? How long ago was that? Oh gosh, you know it's so funny. I was trying to think about this the other day. I think I've been an RT now for seven years. Okay. Seven years, yes. And so there you are. You get into that. Mitchell is a diesel mechanic. We got two kids. Um, well, shoot, you guys moved in that house like five or six years ago. So, We've known you guys for a long time. You've known me for a good minute. Yeah, I wanted... Did you move out of the rental directly into that? No, we... So out of the rental, I bought my first house and it was a new build and it was tiny. It had no driveway. My husband was very upset. He's a mechanic. There was no driveway, Mr. Barber. And it was a tiny little town home. And But it was the first time we bought our own house. Yeah. And it was a new build. And I, I felt like a millionaire again. Yeah. It was tiny. It was 1,800 square feet. No, 1,750 if you want to be exact. And I felt like a million dollars. <laughs> It was mine. Well, you know, it's like, what, what, what is a million dollars? I mean, people talk about um, money. You know, I, 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 don't, I don't really pay too much attention to, to the money aspect of my life. It's there. But I feel like a millionaire because of it's not, it's not money. It's, you know, my daughter's face, the joy, the happiness, the spiritual connection, um, the development of my marriage and how much better my wife and our IR as human beings. Yeah. Listen, you know, Misty, my wife is, um, she's an alpha female and she she's can, one of my rabbits. she can, you know, um, <laughs> argue with the best of me, you yeah. know, I'm an alpha male and you know, we had a lot of diversity in our marriage, um, with both of us trying to run the show, the dance all the time. But because of that, we both grew together as humans and that's, that's richness and my daughter's richness. And I lost my first daughter, uh, when I went to prison all those years ago and she's back in my life and that's yeah. richness and that's that's wealth and so when you move into a house like that and you have your kids and you are healthy and you're you know not in the wild wild west and you're yeah. not bringing you know people around your children that shouldn't be there like yeah. you grew up with you are a millionaire in the yeah. sense of like you know um spiritual wealth and mental wealth and physical wealth and like that's true wealth like money helps with yeah. anything it's nice to like it's nice to have nice stuff, but it's not real wealth because there's plenty of people with money that don't have any wealth. So, yeah. so that's dope. So there you guys are. Um, what do those few years look like for you guys? Oh, so when I was living in that townhome, 
that's where I found my fitness journey. That's where I mm. really dove in head first. Mm -hmm. I got this job. You know, I had I had the the ideal dream. I had the the white picket fence. I had the kids and everything. But was I mentally happy inside? I still mm. had a lot of work to do and a lot of a lot of I think trauma to untangle. And uh, that's where I found one of one of my biggest first mentors in my life had told me like, hey, there's a different way that you can look at things and it could be prettier. Who was that? Oh, Johnny Wadinez. John. John Wadinez is still a huge mentor in yeah. my life. In fact, as well, yeah. So tell tell me about that. How do you meet how do you meet Johnny? What is what does that look like? How do those conversations evolve? Because you know, when we look at people, so I think that most people suffer from a fixed mindset in in almost all areas of their life. Sure. It's because they're, you know, I I equate it to have like, you know, the old Italians they sleep with the fishes and they put that, you know, they put the cement boots on you and then yeah. they dump you in the river. Oh my gosh. Well, that's people <laughs> yeah. can be like that with life. Yeah. You know, they yeah. can they're not acknowledging their trauma and they're not acknowledging their spiritual unfitness, their physical yeah. unfitness, their me mental unfitness. And then they're just living in that kind of unknown hell. Right. Yeah. And that's a fixed mindset. An yeah. abundance mindset is it doesn't have to be just financial. It can be abundance of mind, spirit, body, finances, all of those things. You know, life is an ecosystem of abundance. So there you are. You have traumas left. Like we all have traumas from these types of childhoods. Yes. It's going to happen. And so what just here's my paradigm of a trauma. And I'll let you answer is, is yeah. we, we get these. It's like an iPhone. When I turn my iPhone on and I pull up an app, the app has an operating code. And the phone has an operating code and life puts in mental operating codes to each one of us. And when we start to react to relationships and environment and conversations when we're younger and we're in very diverse or difficult or abusive or not abusive, but you know, women are coming around that shouldn't be there. You're seeing things that you shouldn't see. You're dealing drugs to make money. You're quitting school to like, you're making choices as a very young person based on the world that's around you and probably in influenced by some types of substances and drinking and yeah. seeing stuff all of those things create a mental pattern and that mental pattern becomes your operating code and most of that operating code is glitched with trauma mm -hmm. and so we grow into adults and we have these patterns of behavior and these patterns of how we deal with interpersonal relationships and how we argue and how we debate and how we critical think and how we decipher information and we're full of these glitches of like anger or frustration or not being able to deal with it or too emotional or this or that and that's the trauma and so when i hear people say like i i was full of trauma and i needed to start learning a, a, a new way to think that's like my shit right that's my sht right there because i'm like yeah. i live in that like <laughs> yes. i'm like therapy please um, yes pick me right yes. but therapy comes from conversations like this yes. therapy comes from a conversation with john where it changes yes. your paradigm so tell me about that what was that like part of your life like i think a part i've always been curious and it's got me some really cool places because if i'm curious about something i'll jump i'll jump head first and i won't plug my nose and sometimes yeah. i drown and sometimes i come on on top yeah so my daughter was recently going to a bunker dance studio and every time i'd sit there as all the parents do you know you wait for your kid to get out of this dance class and I'd see this pack of people running every time. I mean, it just happened the to be the CrossFitters. It was the CrossFitters. And they were glistening and they were sweaty and they were strong and they just looked happy. And I was like, where are these people going? Their knees all hurt, though. I was. You know what? I was, I was <laughs> interested. I wanted some more. I wanted yeah. some of that, yeah. you know? So. Yeah. I followed him one day, Mr. Barber, and I went around the building and I walked in. <laughs> you literally just followed him. I literally did. I said, I wonder where those people are coming from. Let me go figure that out. I'll be you right back. What of wild dogs doing around here? Oh, God. I'm happy I did, Mr. Barber. Curiosity yeah. has got me some really dope places just like this. Yeah, for yeah, sure. For sure. So you go in. Is that where you meet Johnny? Yeah. And so what does that look like? God, the music was loud. The weights were loud. The, yeah. the language was foul. Yeah. I loved it. Yeah. Every bit of it. This of is where I need to be. Yeah, Spartan shit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Spartan shit. So, so tell me about the inception of that like different type uh, of creativity that it sparked in you. Like, what, what, what did it? What what did it spark in you? I needed physical pain to undo my mental health. Mm. That was straight up what it was. I've never felt pain like that, and I I liked I like push. Mm -hmm. I like to show myself I can do something. Mm -hmm. uh, so I like the challenge of it. If you know, CrossFitters are competitive as shit, and I yeah. wanted to come out on top, sure. and I wanted to get better at something I sucked at. I couldn't yeah. even do a push up when I walked in there. Mm -hmm. Let me tell you, I can do a lot of fucking push ups now, Mr. Barber. Yeah. <laughs> so this is the this is the 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 beginning of your spiritual journey with fitness. So for me, you know, and we, I want to talk about some of the stuff that you have 
um, written down on here. Yeah. And what what I really take away from this is that you 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 want to you you want to convey, and this is what I believe too. Like, you know, I'm I'm a big whole person paradigm person, right? Which means my mental, physical, spiritual, financial um, well-being as a human, meaning that, you know, and I love David Goggins and David Goggins says, if you're not getting better, you're getting worse. Yeah. And so for me as well, you know, my fitness journey over the years, I, it's never felt good. You know, I, I, I did squats on a bad hip for six years until I got a new hip. Um, it, 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 it's not about just looking fit and looking good in clothes. It's about, um, doing hard things when I don't feel like it for me and, you know, going in and getting in that zone. So this is the beginning of your spiritual journey on that. Yes. And how, how do you develop in the early stages of that? And what is your mindset? Gosh, so I at first was not a vulnerable person. I am the girl that would still sometimes use my hair and makeup as band-aids. Mm -hmm. um, so Johnny Wadina's um, whole uh, training um, process or the way that he is a paradigm shift. He uses fitness and nutrition and reflection to find one's best self. So after you would physically exhaust yourself in this 45 minute to an hour of whatever madness he had planned on the board that day, um, then he would sit you down and he'd ask you some shit. And sometimes it was like, you know, some just good old stuff. And sometimes it was some shit that I, I haven't thought about for a long time. Mm. And not only did you think about it, you shared it with a room full of people. Yeah. And you had to become vulnerable. And let me tell you, that was the hardest part for me to tell parts about me to complete strangers. Mm. Well, working out can be vulnerable because um, you feel stupid. Yeah. You do. <laughs> you, like, listen, you... When you don't know, and I feel so bad, you know, and there's so many times I'm in the gym and I don't do it because I don't know how people would react. And I see people doing something and I just want to go up to them and be like, let me just help you. Let me, with, help. Let me help you with this movement. I they got to figure it out. They got to figure, well, yeah. and the best way to figure it out <laughs> is when somebody shows you, but <laughs> it's, it's like, true. but the, you know, I know how they feel, yeah. you know, you can yes. tell and they're looking around and they're not quite sure. sure. And it's like, it's such a vulnerable thing. You know, it's so like when you can go in and like, I think, you know, I, I prescribed to Barney Brown's Barney Brown and like Ooh, yes. daring greatly in that, that, um, vulnerability is the strongest human characteristic a person can have. It's difficult to be truly authentic yeah. and to be open and vulnerable because you always think we always, th we all think this, we all want to think we're so different. We're the same. You think like, if I really tell you how I really truly feel or what's really going on in yeah. here, you're going to judge me and make me feel stupid. And then I'm going to feel shame. And then I'm going to wish I wouldn't do it. And so that's why it's so difficult to be vulnerable is yeah. because it's so scary. And so you go in and there you are, you're being vulnerable in the gym, learning something new. Yeah. You go in and tackle it. You're starting to share. And how does that vulnerability, I'm huge on, I'm huge on vulnerability. I'm probably one of the most emotional people I know. I don't know if it's genetic or I've just always been super, I remember watching cartoons and I was just crying. Yes. Like, ah, right. Like, <laughs> And I, you know, I, um, I feel like I'm, uh, uh, sometimes I'm like an armor plated marshmallow. I love it. I'm, like, ah, I'm, so, I'm going to cry yes. about this commercial. I'm a very emotional person too. If that it, helps you. I don't it's, know. It's good to be, I, I love it. It means yeah. I care deeply. So yes. you go in and how does that start to change your paradigm on life and help you fix trauma? Because this is part of your journey, right? Yeah. I realize that even though I have the white picket fence and the beautiful family and the, and the brand new home. I'm still really sad on the inside yeah. and I use a lot of band-aids that still serve me no good. So while I'm working the, the dream job and everything, I still really hurt inside and I got a lot of shit I got to figure out yeah. and I'm chasing these rabbits in there that like, I'm like, I want to be like them. Yeah. I want to be strong like that. Well, isn't it weird though that, uh, and I still do it. I still, um, I still compare myself and, and I'm so bad because I, you know, I'm in pretty good shape, but I compare myself to like the top 1% of human beings in the country. I'm you like, like competition. Well, I do, but I'm like, <laughs> I have like 12% body fat and he looks so good. Cause he's got like, that's how screwed up my brain yeah. is. I don't, I, I don't, I don't it. feel good yeah. that I'm, that I've, and, and listen, I'm not saying Lee's in grave shape. I'm saying that Lee's gone to the gym a lot and he tries to pay attention to not eating ice cream when he can. I'm totally yeah. flawed. And I've done that for a long time and my body's in good shape, but it, it's not enough for me. Yeah. It's, that's how screwed up my head is yeah. where, you know, and I talk to people and I'm like, 
you know, I tell Misty, I'm like, I'm fat. And she's like, you're not fat. I'm like, I'm fat. I'm fat as shit. I'm, I eat the ice cream. And the rest of the world sees me a completely different yeah. way, but I can't see myself the that same. way because it's yeah. an internal, uh, it's trauma. Yeah. It's how I see myself. And so I do this comparison. And it's like when you were saying that, I was like, that's the thing. I see all these guys and they're walking around, these girls, and they're so pretty. And all their hair's done. <laughs> and it looks so great. And like, I have, so here's what I've learned. Yeah. They've all got shit. Everybody's got shit. They got shit. But some people don't talk about it. That's right. They That's don't talk right. about it. They're not vulnerable. Yeah. And like what I like about this part of your story is like this is where the vulnerability is where we start to heal. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Because some of these people won't acknowledge that they have trauma. And then here they are 30 years old, 40 years old, 50 years old, 60 years old. And that spiritual malady, that sickness, that blackness of the trauma and how they... Um, interact with other human beings grows sicker and sicker and sicker because they never had that kind of call to action like hey i need to open up this this pain yeah, and go. and and let it go and get some help with this thing yeah. so how did that help your journey like, oh gosh your life how did it help your life well i was always on a mission to find something just like most women and maybe men are you're always looking for the waist trainer the diet pills i hear about injections all over my hospital now right i still look for shit I see, yeah like, well, what was really if anybody's got some shit i want it <laughs> Matt, and even where's the magic pill? But what was really <laughs> fucking cool about it is I slowly started to not drink for one, which was huge, biggest yeah. one of my band aids that yeah. I used. I slowly started to lose weight, and it just yeah. started to fall off. But I started to not even fucking weigh myself. I started to just go to the gym because I wanted to be around those people more. So hold on, let's talk about the not drinking. Yeah, because um, it's it's a big deal because it's a choice because there is a little bit of I don't know if self-deprecation is the right kind of it's like you know drinking um it, here's my opinion of drinking I, I'm I'm pretty open about yeah. my alcoholism but my opinion of drinking with successful human being like high level successful yeah. human beings whether they're an alcoholic or not yeah. they don't drink yeah they don't drink I know some really 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 successful people people that I'm like yeah like uh, like some like Dolly like mental like spiritual giants where yeah. i'm like oh man i want to i want some of that i want it to be you yeah. <laughs> like, say some more stuff to me yeah and they don't drink yeah because it doesn't serve them no. it doesn't serve them it doesn't serve their families it doesn't no. serve their business it doesn't serve their mind it doesn't serve their body it takes away their motivation and so i have found that for myself that i just enjoy life so much more when i'm dealing with life on life's terms and the ups and the downs and i'm not medicating that yes. and so I want to hear about that because here you go. Now we've talked about coming into the gym. You're chasing the pack of wild dogs. Here's this guy, Johnny. He's You're going to do workout. You're going to be vulnerable. He's going to talk about these things at the end. But these little things are starting to change your paradigm on life. Straight and you're up. saying, hey, I need to be vulnerable in the gym. Hey, I need to be vulnerable with my words. I'm in pain. I'm in suffering. And then at some point, this journey leads you to say, you know what? Alcohol is not serving me. So what made you, what was that moment like? I was tired of saying I'm sorry for things I didn't remember. Mm. Um, I've been recently going to these meetings, actually, and it was compulsion. Mm -hmm. And I was kept trying to control a substance that was controlling me. Mm -hmm. I would say, okay, well, maybe after every shot, I'd have a bottle of water. Mm -hmm. Or maybe if I didn't drink whiskey, because whiskey <laughs> always makes me wild. Maybe yeah. I should just drink whiskey. No more vodka. I would try to control a substance that would control me, and I would hurt the people that I love the most, and I'd have to wake up to say sorry for shit I didn't remember. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, this is an important thing, you know, and I don't, I don't know how... I, I can't advise anybody how to come to this point in their life. I know that I came to it and it's cool to hear that you came to it because, you know, this is, I think when spiritual journeys really start to begin and from what I'm picking up on, you identified, you know, because the problem is a lot of the times we don't know we're in crisis. Yeah. We don't. Yeah. We're just moseying about our life, going to college. Habits. I graduated college. I got yeah. my dream job. I'm getting drunk. I'm not really doing, I'm not being better. My mind's not getting better. Yeah. I'm kind of like mellowed out. Like I'm probably not the best dad or mom that I could be. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden something changes that paradigm and you're like, holy, holy crap. I could be a way better human yes. by just doing a few things. Yes. And so you get into that, you stop drinking, you realize that you don't want to be controlled by something that yeah. you want to start controlling life. Yeah. How does that period look like when you stop drinking and how does your paradigm shift? How does your spirit shift? Hard. How does your mind shift? Hard. Because everything around me has always been a substance. Mm. From 
the people I love the most, to the family I hang out with, to every family event I go to, whether it be a baby shower, mm -hmm. whether it be a kid's birthday party, alcohol is always the center of every celebration and mm -hmm. even to this day. Mm -hmm. So I had to learn to not drink in a world that is obsessed with alcohol mm -hmm. and most specifically my family. Mm -hmm. Break the chain type shit, right? Yeah. Yes. Well, you know, you it's the power of proximity. I don't... Um, I don't mind being in a room full of people that are drinking. I just don't put myself in rooms full of people that are drinking yes. anymore in my life. Because first of all, I mean, there's people in my family I don't talk to because I, you know, I don't have anything to talk to you about. Yeah. Um, we're not, we're not thinking the same stuff. Yes. Like, Hey, I'm not judging you, but, um, I, I don't want to talk about like, what's important to you is not important to me. That doesn't mean I'm better than you. Yeah. That just means what's important to me oh, is different. <laughs> like I'm, I'm trying to grow mentally, spiritually, physically, financially in my life. Yeah. That means being the best husband that I can be. That means being the best father that I can be. That means being the best leader that I can be the best business owner that I can be the best friend that I can be yeah. like, and I'm, I gotta be honest. It takes a lot of work because yeah. Lee wants to be, listen, Lee wants to sit around and watch Netflix and eat ice cream and tell the whole world to go F itself. Because yeah. I'm an invert. I am and, too. And I'm like, I don't really want to <laughs> care about you if I don't have to. And then, yes. But like, that's not, that's not who I aspire to be. Yeah. The people that I look at, that I love, that I want to be, that's who I want to be. And so I vibe with that. So you have to change who you are, your surroundings, yes. all of it. And then now what does it start to look like? Hard. Hard. It's still hard. Yeah. Because I'm learning that other part, that other part that maybe if you don't serve me or my happiness, and maybe if we're not on the journey right now, it's not that I don't think I am better than you. It's that I have, I have shit to do and I have yeah. big dreams. Yeah. I have big dreams. Mm. So it's still hard. It is. It's always, it can always be hard. It's, it's, um, because you can't make anybody want it. You know, there's a saying, if I want it more than you want it, this isn't going to work. Nope. Like you have to want it. So you guys are in, in the rental house or the new house, the condo. Yes. Start going to the gym. Yes. Start being open with your, you know, sharing with your gym. You stop drinking. Um, how long was that going on before you moved in next door to me? I want to say I lived in that townhome for just maybe, maybe just a short two years because when I flipped it. And I bought that house next to you. You did? Yes. Yeah. You, and I have to say, I stalked that house as it was being built. So I kind of stalked you guys too, because I seen this big man that would flip tires going down the street. I'm like, those are my fucking people. I'm supposed to be here. How'd yeah. this happen? This is dope. <laughs> this is dope. Yeah. So you guys, you guys move in there. Yes. Um, Layla and little Mitchell, shoot. How, man, that was I know. little yeah. babies, like little kids Yeah. is a big difference. So your kind of journey I've seen from an outside has changed pretty dramatically from just kind of, you know, quote unquote, a CrossFitter into, you know, all of these different areas. I remember I went to your CrossFit gym yeah. um, with you once, um, but just seeing you kind of go from that to different areas of your life. What does that progression look like? And what has that, you know, because I, I know you still face some adversities, you know, family's tough, right? Because yeah. we, we love the ones we love and, and we can't fight their battles. And so I know that there's some, some of that stuff in there, but I want to focus, like, what has it been like for you over these last six or seven years? Because when I met you, you're just a CrossFitter. Yes. Quote unquote. Yeah. How does that kind of go? What does that look like for you going from that into where we are now? Like what are the first phases? Cause I remember John had the gym yeah. and then John moved to stuff and like, yeah. tell me a little bit about your transitions through the fitness world and the mental spiritual part of that. Yeah. So I just, just being in the gym and working with my mentor, Johnny Wadiness, he's seen something in me. He's seen that I, I myself and I'm not just a, I'm an entrepreneur. Yeah. I dream big. I talk yeah. a lot of shit. I'm loud and I'm proud and I will share this message everywhere. I started to learn that the more that I allowed myself to be vulnerable and talk about my problems, people reached out to me. Mm -hmm. People would be in my DMs. People say, hey, I really, I really felt that. Thank you for sharing. And the more people that would, and still to this day, the more people that would just give me those little messages, I was like, I got a message to share. I want to help those that are where I was. I was looking for the secret sauce and this is it. Oh my God. Mm. Let me build a business about this. Mm -hmm. Let me grow. Let me get big. Yeah. Yeah. So you guys, <laughs> um, help, help me walk through some of the, the, the Johnny stuff because yes. so there was, what was the gym called? So it's called Wadbod CrossFit. So it was Wadbod and yeah. that's where you do in the CrossFit uh -huh. and then you, did you get a cert to train, right? Yep. But, and I still have them to this day. Certified and, nutrition. And then you went from, he moved the whole gym to whole like gym. a garage, like a big dope 
crazy like country oh, barn thing. And that's where Strong Human Training was born. And that's where SHT. So uh, tell me about the inception of SHT. Man, so that was pretty cool. So yeah, he moved our small gym to, like you said, a crazy... Um, he, it was a horse corral in the back of this place, but we had a big old, big old garage that we had trained in. And in the back, it was like Sparta. We would lift the big <laughs> Atlas stones. We'd throw sandbags and his, his method, the way that he trained got harder and harder. And I loved it more and more. Mm -hmm. Um, so when he went from Wadbod to this new place, we rebranded and I got the opportunity to rebrand with him because he believed in my mission as well. And I mm -hmm. believe in his and I still to this day. Um, so why I'm not the creator of this paradigm shift of fitness, nutrition, reflection, nor strong human training. I am the loudest and proudest ambassador. Never forget where you come from. Johnny Wadinas, I always remember you. Yeah. Yes. So what does that look like? So because I know that because um, we were there, you know, living next door to each other during COVID and some of that. And I think Johnny had just moved into yeah. that garage yeah. um, barn, actually, yeah. shortly before that. And so I know that. You guys kind of went from this in-person thing to kind of a virtual thing yeah. where you're trying to grow and change the business. It was cool for me because I was watching you like, you know, I'm like running past your house and, and there you are with, there's like some mom somewhere and, and her husband in their garage on your computer <laughs> doing CrossFit <laughs> with you in their street while you're on your street. So, you know, you're reaching out and trying to touch people any way that you can and, you know, I know that, you know, coaching in its early days, you know, this is not like um, you're not making a million dollars a year coaching in the early days, like yeah. if hopefully ever. Yeah. But like, you know, I, I didn't see that as why you were ever, I didn't feel that either is why you were ever doing it. I yeah. could tell you can tell that you just love to help people and like help them kind of break out of their comfort zones. So what was the transition like for you in the business model from the in-persons to kind of the virtuals? Oh, man. So Johnny Wadinas went from Wadbod CrossFit, a nice commercial spot, to the farm. And uh, COVID hit and shut everything down. Mm -hmm. And we weren't able to train those people. Those people that were going to follow us to that place could not come. Yeah. He just moved everything he loved, everything he owned, and every dollar he had into this dream. And then the world closed. Yeah. Well, and as any person does. And I just, I'd love to talk about this because I'm a respiratory therapist when COVID hit. And I, mm -hmm. I saw some, I saw things like, I knew at that time in my life I had to be the strongest both mentally and physically. Yeah. So I still trained the Johnny Wadina's way and it, I truly believe it pulled me all throughout the mental mindfuck I think of working in a hospital at that mm. time. And uh, as any successful entrepreneur does, if something's not working, you, you mix things up. So we took it all online because that's the only place we could reach people. Yeah. Yes. So, you know, you spent by that time, how long were you... Um, friends with Johnny in, in the group over there. It's a couple of years by now. Oh, I want to say four years. I've been so at that time. Who four is years. Jamie four years later and what is her message? You know, like and obviously it's been longer now. Yeah. But at that time, like what is what is your message? What is your vision? Like what is you who who are you at that time? And how had that changed from the girl who had walked in four years ago and was scared to share her story at the end of a at the end of a wad? She's tough. Yeah. She's tiny but mighty, and I'll say so. They be the bull type <laughs> shit. Um, I, I, I loved who I who I was in the mirror. Mm -hmm. I loved who I stood for, what I stood for. I love the way I look, to be quite honest. Yeah. I started to dress a little prouder, talk a little louder, mm -hmm. stand tall. I wasn't shy anymore, mm. and I had something to say. And if if the internet was the only way I could share my message, so be it. I love that. Yes. So I'm I'm listening to um. Jeez, I don't want to butcher his name. It's a it's another podcast and it is let me see if I can pull it up real quick. Yeah, this is it. No, it left. It was on there. Um, it's the Heberman Lab. And so Heberman is he does um sports therapy. He's a professor at I think Stanford or Princeton. But re really, really cool, like layman's term scientifics about different stuff. And I was watching, listening to his podcast about cool plunging. And this is relatable to this <laughs> yeah. is relatable to fitness too though. What what he was talking about with the cold plunges, most people like listen, it's if you want to tell me that um putting an ice pack on um something that's sore doesn't help it, you know, we're not gonna talk anymore because you're yeah. not sore. Yeah. <laughs> so does dipping your whole body inside of ice cold water help reduce inflammation? Of course it yeah. does, right? That's an obvious thing. That's the most topical part of cold plunging, right? Yeah. Like, obviously, it's going to reduce inflammation in joints. I think that's inarguable. And then, you know, there's all these other things they talk about. But 
what he talked about was is um, the the different chemical levels in your body mm. when you do cold plunge, and what happens is your body goes into absolute shock, yeah. and that shock releases fight or flight. You're yeah. like, it's like your body's like, get out yeah. now. And your mind is like, nope, we're standing here. We're standing here. And that, so what it is, is, is that's mental grit and fortitude. And so what, what Huberman talks about in the, in the, in, in this episode is identifying the wall. Yeah. And when the wall comes, you identify the wall and you stay in the water and you go to another wall. And then when the next wall, and it's just this level of mentally finding yeah. these walls. And so what I took away from it, and it's applicable to what we're talking about because why are you different four years later? Well, it's this, it's this constant battle of going against yourself, doing hard things, yeah. this constant challenge, these hitting these walls, these mental walls, these physical walls, these spiritual walls. I mean, listen, I was doing squats on literally my hip bone dug a hole inside of my pelvis. Like there was a notch. Yeah. And listen, I'm, was it stupid not to go get an x-ray? A hundred percent. I'm not saying I'm, I'm smart. I'm, I'm not you, okay. saying I'm smart. Yeah. I'm saying I'm stupid and tough. Okay, there you go. I like it. But what, what it was, was I, it, the, the wall, at some point in my, in my fitness journey, yeah. the wall wasn't there because I was just going to go do the damn hard thing. Yeah. And so I love kind of hearing what you're saying there because what resonates with me is kind of that what Hebrew was talking about there is that you had found all those walls and that four years you had busted through each one of them. And yes. so the woman that was in the mirror wasn't just wearing different clothes. She was a different woman. She was a stronger woman. She was a tougher woman. She was a woman that didn't do what she felt like doing. She was yes. a woman that did what she needed to do. Yes. So I love that. So that's four years into that. What is from then to now kind of looked like? Oh, I'm going bigger. Like you said, I can only like reach an infinite amount of people by in-person coaching, right? I mm -hmm. want to go finite, Mr. Barb. I want to dream yeah. big, big, yep. right? Um, so my new um, mission that I definitely want to at least say on here, I'm launching um, an e-course. Um, so, you know, I, I liked college and I liked the structure of it. I did it because I did it for myself. What I don't like about coaching and personal training is I'm holding your fucking hand. Mm. And when as soon as you learn that personal, I lose that personal trainer, you might not go. You probably won't go. You probably won't stick with that meal plan. I want to give people a purpose bigger. Mm. I want them to do it because they actually fucking want it, not because you're paying me. Yeah. And like you said, I do it because I actually care. How do you tap into that? Oh, okay. It's a, it's a big thing. It is a big thing. So it's launching mm -hmm. on February 28th, and I've been working mad hard on it. Okay, <laughs> thank you very much. And the huge inspiration for it is that uh, every time I walk into my break room, one of my colleagues, I want to give her a shout out, nice nurse, NICU nurse named Anne. She'd ask me, hey, Jay, what's in your lunchbox today? Every day she would ask me and I'm like, you know, and then I'd sit in the break room. Hey, what are you, what are you eating over there? Mm -hmm. Not only do, do I know like I eat tremendous, tremendously different. Um, I know why the fuck I put that shit in my lunchbox in the first place. And everybody's curious. And Mr. Barber, if people are asking you about something, there's a business in that. There is. And then I was like, hey, well, how can I share this? You know, just not with my clients, but with more. Mm -hmm. I made a course just like you're going to college, Strong Human Training Academy, ladies and gentlemen. Mm -hmm. <laughs> May I introduce? Yeah, let's yes. do it. <laughs> and it's only going to be the, the one of many courses because a strong human is not, like I said, just fitness and nutrition. So. so what's different about Strong Human Training? Ah, What's different about Strong Human Training is it's a paradigm shift. It is not a fitness and nutrition program. It is utilizing the tools of fitness, nutrition, and reflection for one to grow as their best self because my best self looks differently from your best self, from your best self, from your best self. Mm -hmm. You know, your ideas, your goals, and everything, much different from mine. But let me tell you, when you move your body any way that brings you joy, when you fuel your body with foods that actually benefit you, they don't make you sick, you know, and you actually think about the shit that you're doing and rip off the band-aids that no longer serve you. My fuck, you could be a different person. Imagine that. Yeah. Yes. I think the, the thing that holds, um, well, you know, it's will and motivation are finite. Um, you know, people, they're, they're always, I'm going to, I'm going to find the motivation and I'm so motivated today. And then, you yep. know, you get a, you get a flat tire <laughs> and you have to get an Uber to work and the car's in the fuck somewhere else. And you get an argument with your spouse and you know, you get home and you eat a fucking pizza and some ice cream because <laughs> the motivation's gone. Yes. You know, motivation is motivation is, is not the right paradigm to have when you're trying to change your life. In my experience, it's, actually doing the thing 
And the results are what create motivation, true lasting motivation. Because when you go in and you do the hard work, right, you have to have the discipline. And once you have the discipline and you go through the mechanisms and this is what people miss most of the time in my experience is that they're so used to not doing hard things Mm -hmm. that first of all, to get them to do a hard thing consistently. And what is a hard thing? It's the, I'm doing the things that I don't feel like doing a lot. Like I, most of the time, the stuff I do, I don't feel like doing it. The stuff that makes me, I don't feel like (laughs) listening to a book on tape. I don't feel like re-listening to podcasts. I don't feel like reading a book. I don't feel like going to the gym when I don't feel good. I don't feel like going in the cold plunge. I don't feel like going to work every day. I don't feel like flying off to, but I go do the damn thing. That's what I'm saying. And I get in the habit of that. And most, so how do you help people change that paradigm of, um, how do you get them out of the, I don't, how do you teach people? Cause that's always my hardest thing yeah. too, is how do I get you to do stuff that you don't feel like doing on a consecutive basis? I'm going to be completely honest. Not all people are my people, Mr. Barber. Yeah. Because people don't like to be uncomfortable. Yeah. So if like my, prog- that's a good answer. my program's not for everybody. My program yeah. is for you if you're tired of being sick and tired. My program is for you if you were curious about how can I no longer feel this way. My mm. program is for you if you you're ready to fucking work. Mm. My program is not for you if you're not going to work. I like that. Um, yeah. I, I was wondering what your answer was. I, I, well, because that's what it is. When you're, when you're, listen. When I was sick of, when I was sick of fucking smoking, you know. You what were I sick did? of fucking smoking. That I quit was it. smoking. Yeah, that's what when you do. When I was do. sick of drinking, you know what I did? You fucking quit I drinking. Quit drinking. When I want to start yeah. working out, you know what I did? Like when I was sick yeah. of being like. So yeah, you're right. I mean, you know, it's like. I love that answer. Like yeah. if, if you're, and, and you know, I, I don't think everybody knows that they're not ready. Yeah. I don't. I think yeah. that, the, I think most people really, every, everybody wants. Oh, everybody comes to me excited yeah, well, and ready to when, do when work. When I say what we yeah. have, right. <laughs> they don't know. Like, listen, if I got in a huge argument with Misty last night, yeah. I come into my team and I'm smiling and I'm doing correlate. Yeah. They don't know I had a shit show night. Yeah. They don't know. Cause you do work. Cause I do work. But yes. so people want what they see that we have. Yeah. They want the, Oh, you look so good in the mirror yeah. and your clothes and look at your beautiful skin. And they're yeah. like, you know, and last night was a total a shit. shit. I'm a fucking hot mess, guys. I don't know what to tell yeah. you. But so they see this thing. Yeah. They want what we have, quote unquote. Yeah. But, but they don't, don't want to do the work. And so they have this kind of ideal of what it's going to be. And then they dip their toe in the water and they're like, holy Ooh, shit. Yeah. So how do you kind of weed through those people? And what does that journey look like? Finding the ones that want it and that don't want it. Do they always just show up or do you kind of. Are there some people that, you know, cause sometimes I feel as a, as a, I'm a sales coach. Yeah. And so as a coach myself in the sales world, um, you know, sometimes I have to move people up the Richter scale. And yeah. for me, what I'm always looking for is, do I have a person that I know wants it? Yeah. Right. And so it was explained to me this way. There's, there's a person who just sees it mm-hmm. and they're just, they're in. Yeah. There's the person who sees it when shown. And both of those are my people. Yeah. Like if you see it or see it when show, I'm going to show yeah. you. And then there's the people who just don't see it. Yep. And then we're not going to be friends. Yes. So how do you kind of take the people to see it through, see it when shown people where they come in and they're like, I did not know it was going to be this much work, Yeah. but I still kind of want to do it. Like do how they do show you show up the next day? Yeah. I kind of feel like these people weed themselves out. I have learned that just much, just as much as anything else, if they don't want it, I, it doesn't matter how much I want it for you. You must want it yourself. Yeah. Do you show up the next day? Mm. Do you show up again? Mm. Those people that show me that little bit of interest, I'll give you more of my time. But my yeah. time is valuable, Mr. Barber. That's exactly right. Yes. Time is valuable. Yes. Especially, you know, when we're pouring ourselves into it. So what are some of your um, favorite success stories of people that you've worked with and how they've changed mentally, physically, spiritually? Like what, who, you know, you don't have to name any, like, Mr. but you, you've been on this journey for a while. Yes. So who are some of yours? Like, uh, cause I have people yes. that I've helped in my life. I've watched my people just do amazing things. Yeah. And I know it's a cool thing to talk about. Um, this is interesting for me. Um, I would definitely say uh, these, I would say, and I just wanted to say it out loud. It is Misty Barber because I feel like I do this Mr. Barber for a selfish reason. I do this because it feeds my soul. Mm. I do this because if these people are going to show up for me, I best show up for them. I best put my makeup on. And even if my night before was a shit show, you show up. You know what I mean? So, um, I do this mission because it is my best medicine Mm. and those people that keep showing. And I feel like I am not a coach, Mr. Barber. I'm just a leader in the game. And if you want it, then come with me. Mm. 
And I have to say, I learn just as much from these people that stick with me as they learn from me. Mm. And so your wife is definitely one of my big rabbits because she is an alpha female and she will stand in a room full of men and talk loud (laughs) and she will talk proud. Yeah. Yeah. So I feel the days that I chat with her. What changes have you seen in her um, since you guys started changing like mental, spiritual? Oh man, I think I've trained Misty Barber for a year and a half and my workouts are Mm. not easy. (laughs) They are not fun. You know, and she shows up every day and I show up for her and I learn just as much from her as I think that she learns from me. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. So honestly, if I were to give that, that is my biggest. That's cool. That makes me hungry. Yeah. It's just a, it's a call out to people, you know, like, um, I've never, I've never, I've never got anything massively rewarding in my life. That was easy. Yeah. I just haven't, you know, and it's like. Don't I, I I love David Goggins. Yeah. And you know, he has this one and I'm I'm gonna kinda emulate him here. I'm okay. gonna butcher it. But he you know, he has this one video he does. And so what David Goggins calls it is taking souls. Ooh. Okay. He, so what he says is you're not gonna take my soul. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna take your soul. Ooh. So that means like you challenge me to whatever. Yeah. And you think you're gonna beat me. Yeah. I'm going to decimate you. I'm going to take your soul, right? So like that, he, call, he calls he calls yeah. it taking souls, right? Okay. Which just means that you're, you, whatever happens, you're not going to take my soul. Yeah. So he's, you know, and he was in Bud's, he's a Navy SEAL, went yeah. through Bud's three times. And he's, he's, you know, he always, ha- I don't know who the hell's running next to David Goggins Nobody. when he's running. I don't know, who, but there's somebody <laughs> filming him. And he's oh, like, that's true. Actually, he's somebody. like, these motherfuckers. <laughs> and he's like, no, but he's like, you know, I would be in the platoon with these guys. And he's like, and what he would say is like, yeah. he's in the platoon with these guys and they're on a five mile hike with yeah. their rucksacks. And he's like, these motherfuckers would start getting happy and they know the, the run is almost over. And these, yeah. these asshole instructors want to take their soul and they say five more miles. Yeah. And he says, I like it when it's five more miles. Yeah. I like it when it rains. Yeah. I like it when I have to get wet. Yeah. I like it when it's cold. And so, you know, my, my, just cause we're talking about like coming into a journey like this, like, listen, if, if you think you can do it, sign up and yep. do it, but don't think you're coming in for a half a marathon. You're coming in for a marathon. Yep. You're, if you want what successful people, I don't look at successful people and go, boy, that must've been easy. <laughs> that's not, I, that's not, it's not how I approach the game. Yeah. When I look at somebody that's massively successful, I go, that shit was probably yeah. hard as a motherfucker. Yeah. And if I want any piece of that, yeah. I, I got to buckle in for some hard shit yeah. and some hard commitment. And then, and then I feel like my power of proximity. And so this is just a call, you know, I know you. And so, yeah. you know, anybody that's listening to this, that signs up to your program, you have a lot to offer as a human being. Thank and you. when somebody's hiring you for that, the reason that they should be doing that is to put themselves in the the power of proximity. So they're trying to put themselves close to someone who has what they want. Yeah. Now, if you want to become a scholar, put yourself around scholars. Yeah. If you want to become a millionaire, put yourself around millionaires. Yeah. If you want to become um, mentally and spiritually fit, put yourself around people who are being mentally and spiritually fit, you know? So when, when, when you're in, when somebody's engaging with you like that, but don't think it's going to be easy. So, you know, like how for you, how has that journey been overall? Like looking back the difficulty, the tenacity, like what, what have you learned about what yourself, yourself and what it took you to get here? Failure is success. Mm. I have failed too many times. I've built a website. It failed. Mm. I've launched it, relaunched it, rebranded, you know, I've put myself out there. I've been vulnerable. I've made, I've made podcasts in my car. I've, <laughs> I've, you've seen me. I put yeah. it all over. I have any more. I, I don't care. I just need to say what I have to say and I'll put it out in the world anyway. I see fit. And the more that I get more vulnerable, the more opportunities I get just like this one. Hmm. It's kind of counterintuitive, isn't it? Yeah. Most people think failure <laughs> means what? Failure. You fail. And yeah. most people think vulnerability is weakness. Yeah. And it's like quite opposite, my friend. It is. And if I'm the strongest person in the room or the smartest, I'm in the wrong fucking room. You wanted me to remind you. Yes. I, I love this because <laughs> Jamie, Jamie writes here in her notes. Um, I'm nervous. This may not be enough content. I think we did pretty good. <laughs> I think we did so good. Hopefully I didn't talk too much. Oh, I loved it. Um, but you wanted me to remind you to do an outro yes. for people who wanted to give you suggestions or things like that. So yes. let's hear that. Uh, first and foremost, I want to say I'm grateful for everybody that drops in my inbox. You guys are the ones that have empowered me to allow myself to not be vulnerable and keep sharing my story. 
Um, so first and foremost, thank you very much for all those people that believed in my journey from the beginning of my Ultima. Mm. You were one of them, Mr. Barber. Um, and I'll never forget where I came from. That's always a big take home. Another thing I want to say is that if any of my messages had ever spoke to you, or if you think they could help someone that are that is where I was, or if you want to go where I'm going, uh, the only way that I grow is if you share my message. You take this link, you copy it, you send it to a friend via text message, put me on your social, blast me somewhere, um, because that's how I grow. Uh, Johnny Wadina has always said, for yourself and for each other, and truly that's how this mission is fire. Um, I always, I'm going to continue, uh, this podcasting thing. I made a commitment to myself and I'm going to keep pulling in the strong humans in my life because strong human training, if you did not get out of this whole podcast is not fitness and nutrition. I have many rabbits in my life. Um, and I want to interview them and their strong attributes. Um, but if you have any questions or anything that you'd love me to talk more of fitness, nutrition, reflection, or generally any bullshit you want me to say, or want to know more of, um, hit me up at Coach Jamie at StrongHumanTraining.com. Um, with this beautiful podcast in this beautiful place, I am launching my YouTube, Jamie Letcher with no bullshit, because not only do I want to brand my brand, Strong Human Training, I want to brand myself loud and proud. I would always say, I want to be Joe Rogan, Johnny Waddy is. And he's like, Jamie, you're not Joe Rogan, you're Jamie Letchworth. And now I'm saying it, I'm Jamie Letchworth. Um, so I say it again, uh, Jamie Letchworth, no bullshit. It's going to be found on YouTube. Uh, follow my social media, Life's Peachy. I've had that account... Um, since I was a teenager, so you could literally watch my progress for any dreamers out there that are dreaming. You can see me do my podcast in my car when I was a very new beginner. And Mr. Barber, I had a question for you myself. Mm, yes. What would you tell a dreamer that was afraid to dream? What would I tell a dreamer that they was yeah. afraid to dream? They're not a dreamer. Oh, that's true, I guess. <laughs> Shoot. Yeah. Or if you had a message to share on this whole topic and anything that, that this, uh, this podcast was, what would it be? What would you want to leave this audience with today? I would say do hard things. Um, I, you know, a lot of them. Like if, if, you're, if you're comfortable right now, you're, you're messing up. Um, you know, I've, I've watched you, and I'll just say this and, and we'll end. I, I've watched you, the time that I've known you go through you know, life, um, and life is tough. Yes. It's, it can be a son of a bitch. Yeah. That's all there is to it. And we can't control other people. We can't control work. We can't control relationships. Uh, we can't control how our kids feel like we can control us, how we take in information and how we put it out information and who we represent ourselves to the world. That's what we're in control of. And I've, I've watched you, um, you know, tough out some pretty tough life shit and, stay positive and stay with the message. And so, you know, I can tell anybody that's listening that if you need, um, a positive, strong person yeah. in your life, Jamie's it. You know, I have, uh, people in my life, the power of proximity. That's, um, I need strong people in my life when I want to be a little bitch. Yeah. And that's, you know, like, and, cause you know, I have a little voice in my head that says, don't do it. And then, <laughs> You know, but so listen, this is the shout out to anybody. If you need somebody strong and positive that's been through the meat grinder, that's been through the chopper, that's been put in the wood mill and chopped up and spit out the other end. I've seen Jamie go through life and I've seen her do it with tenacity and grit and she's relentless and she's, um, she's not just on here trying to, you know, talk about some fitness app that she's done. She lives and breathes and you know, this is, this is her life. And I've seen it, um, for years, Thank like in, in the street, flipping tires, dragging stuff, people <laughs> on iPads. Like I've legit seen, this is what this woman lives. So if you're, if you're looking for a positive influence in your life, you need somebody to be accountable to, um, which I do myself. Um, yeah. Oh. Follow Jamie, check her out. Much love, Mr. Barber. I'd like to leave everybody with the message. Uh, the greatest fear I ever met is dying with regret. That's Macklemore, lyricist genius. Uh, StrongHumanTraining.com. Check it out. Coach J. All right. Thanks, Jamie. I'm out. All right. Bye, guys. <laughs>